Herman to come. Amen. A great man of God. We serve together on the district board. We laugh. We have fun together. Amen. Great man of God. He's an ex-airman. Amen. He aims high, but uh, Brother Gannon, we'll get him there pretty soon. Amen. God bless Brother Herman. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. He's a mighty God. Amen. He is a mighty God. Praise God. It is an honor to be here uh, tonight and this weekend, of course. And uh, uh, praise God, we get any more preachers here. We're going to have district conference. But uh, amen. It's good to see you, brethren, tonight. And uh, uh, I do count it an honor to be here. Uh, thank you to the Parkers, their kindness, and they're always such uh, great hosts. Uh, this wouldn't be the first time the Army's called the Air Force in to war. Um, praise God. I got a message more in tune to the Army, though, tonight than, uh, than I do the Air Force. So, but, but praise God. Uh, thank you, though. That means a lot. I, I mean, is. There's a lot of uh, professional competition amongst the uh, armed forces, and so I, I count it as a, as a real honor that you would do this. But praise God. It is good to be with you, saints of God of Calvary Apostolic, and uh, I'm just excited about what the Lord is going to do here this weekend. And uh, you couldn't be in a better place than you are tonight. Uh, the Millers, good to see you all, and, uh, and uh, thank you for, uh, for being such a blessing. To, uh, to this church. I, I understand it's coming up quickly here, uh, your three-year term, and uh, I was surprised to hear that. So we'll be uh, praying for the will of God in your life, and, and uh, I know you've been a blessing uh, to your family here, your church family and your, and your family. Sister Parker, we sure love you, and you do a tremendous job uh, on the ladies' committee, and uh, just what a wonderful uh, uh, ladies' retreat had this last May and uh, just amazing and uh, she does a terrific job and saints of this church you can be very proud of your pastor's wife Uh, you really can she does a tremendous job and I know it probably sounds obligatory that I come up here and say all kinds of nice things but um, I will tell you I actually mean them Um, I really appreciate Pastor Parker and uh, I really do. I have been just very, uh, very blessed. And I, I will tell you, you know, I've been on the board now nine years. And uh, you, you have brought something since you've been on the board. Not that it wasn't there before, but you've brought something, a spiritual element to the board in a way that's never been there before. Very, very powerful. And God uses this man. And in some of the most difficult situations, um, you'd be wholly proud of him. Very much so in our ministry that's here tonight. You'd be very, very proud of this man and how he represents Section 4, but also our district and our Savior. And uh, I'm just, uh, I I like hanging out with him because I just hope a little of whatever he is rubs off on me. And I know I'll be better for it, and I really mean that truly. So uh, thank you for having us. Uh, I do want to get into the Word tonight, and um, I'm hoping that, uh, that the Lord will have given us something here for somebody Um, it is not lost on me what the theme of this revival is and um, I don't know about you but it has been 26 years 
and uh, I can now say that I have served God longer than I did not serve God. I somewhere crossed the 50-yard line there, and uh, I don't know if there's anything spiritually significant about that, but it makes me feel real good. Um, and I got to that point, and I don't want to go backwards. There's just there's no, nothing back there. Tried it. What's the old saying? Been there, done that, and and I got the bruises and all of the uh, you know the marks to to show it. But there's something about serving Jesus Christ, living for God, that once you dive into this thing, if you do it the right way, you don't ever want to go back. Praise God. Is that our dear sister Connie I see sitting there? Well, bless God. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, well, you were in the right place, and you evidently made it on the, at the right time. So, praise God. And we, we baptized her in Wisconsin Dells and uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, there, yes, that's what I thought. Okay. But that goes back a while. So, it is good to have you here. Praise God. Nice to see you. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. I don't know how you preachers do it or how that's done here at Calvary, but uh, uh, we stand for the reading of the Word. If you wouldn't mind doing that, uh, out of respect for it, I'm going to be reading tonight from Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. Bear with me. I have a few few, uh, verses to get through. Praise God. Joshua chapter number 1. The word of the Lord says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And then, of course, a very familiar place in scripture that we've probably heard preached on many times before verse number three every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have i given unto you as i said unto moses from the wilderness and this lebanon even unto the great river the river euphrates all the land of the hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but shall thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And then listen to this, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, For then, everyone say for then, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, 
and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I want to speak this evening on the topic of possessing whatever your foot touches. Possessing whatever your foot touches. Lord, we praise you tonight and we thank you for the awesome presence of God that is in this place. And thank you for touching our hearts and for showing up as we, the scripture is true, if we draw nigh unto you, you will draw nigh unto us. And I'm asking tonight, Lord, that you would take a a very simple thought, but have it change us in a profound way. Would you plant a seed within us and then cause it to germinate and grow into something beautiful tonight? We ultimately want to walk out of this place better and different than the way we came. We want to become more like you and more according to your image. Help us, Lord, to look forward tonight to see the greatness and the beauty of what you have in store for your people. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. It has been a long time. I guess it depends on how far back in the scripture that you want to go. I suppose you could say it goes all the way back to the promise that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12, that he would bless the people that blessed them and curse those that cursed them, but that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And you could say that God struck a covenant with Abraham in his seed. But now we are many, many generations now down the road. We find ourselves in the place in Scripture where God's people have come out of slavery. Many things have happened. A lot of difficulties have taken place. We are many generations now removed from that that great promise. Probably the most difficult times, you might say, in all of Israel's uh, history. Probably is we are on the tail end of that. They are coming out of the bondage that they were in in Egypt. Israel is standing literally on the doorstep of a promise that had been made so many generations ago. You would think that if God is going to make a promise and he's sovereign and God is right and every man is as a liar, that that promise would be easily, easily obtained and immediately obtained. There shouldn't be any circuitous path to get to it. There shouldn't be any obstacle that can stand in the way of it. There shouldn't be anything that God can't do to facilitate it and make it come to pass. And yet here we are, so many generations later, and so many tragic things have happened. And here is Israel standing now. I don't know if you can really appreciate this, but this is a a heritage that has been passed down to children for generation to generation to generation The stories have been told. Everything has been communicated. I don't doubt for a moment that there probably was not some some doubt. And perhaps some of these generations subsequently over the years said, where is this promise? We've talked about this promise. We've heard about this promise. We've heard about the inheritance that God wants to give us. And yet, all I know is that we found ourselves 
under the bondage of the greatest and strongest superpower in the world of that day. And so I can understand perhaps in their human nature where there would have been some skepticism about the promise. I mean, after all, here is a group of people who now have, even after their great escape from Egyptian bondage, still took 40 years to get to the doorstep of this great inheritance. And here they are, walking through the wilderness, <laughs> their eyes looking for something that they've only been told about. They are looking for something unseen, something they've never experienced. They've only heard it talked about. And here they are now at the very footstep of it. They are just about ready to enter in to this promised land. Deuteronomy 29 and 5 says, And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. There's one thing that God was going to make sure of, and that was this. Their clothes weren't going to wear out, and their shoes weren't going to wear out, because they were going to need them both to make it into the promised land. He was going to provide everything else they needed, but the one thing he was going to make sure of, he's going to defy all the laws of what is normal. Nothing's going to wear out because we're going, to, we're going to keep you moving forward toward the promise. We're going to keep you moving forward toward the thing that I have promised that I would give you. Thy raiment, 8 and 4, says this, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. God had a, a very much of an intent and a purpose behind what he was doing. He felt their, their steps toward their promise were so important that he kept their feet from blistering and their shoes from wearing out. What I'm trying to build for you is an understanding of this tonight. We serve a God, you said it, who moves forward. He's not a God that looks backwards. He's not a God that dwells in the past. But He's a God that expects us to move forward. He prepares us to move into things that He promises us. They're not hollow promises. They're not promises like the world gives us. They're not false things. They're not things we see on an infomercial and we spend our money and when we get it, it isn't what it was advertised to be. We're talking about God who says, not only am I going to promise you something, not only am I going to fulfill what I promise you, but I'm going to ensure and make sure that there's nothing that stops you from obtaining it. Praise God. There's something about the power of a motivated individual. We can talk tonight about the greatness of God's ability to bring to pass things in our lives. We are here tonight and we still have promises. Promises of Scripture were not just for the Old Testament. They were not promises for the first century church. But they are promises that are still in place, some of them yet here tonight. Praise God. There are still things that we are waiting on that have not yet come to pass. Praise God. We sang a little bit about that. When I get to that other side of glory, praise God. When I fly away, we haven't flown away yet, but when we fly away, when that trumpet sounds, praise God, that's going to be a fulfillment of probably the greatest promise there is. And that's heaven in an eternity with Him. And so we are not void of promises tonight. We are not void of an inheritance tonight. It's still there. It still needs to be obtained. And I believe that, and we're talking about an eternal thing now, but I also believe that in this life, there are also promises. I feel myself taking one of, honey, one of those diversions here just for just a moment. I need to be careful because my messages end up being a little bit long. I don't want to subject you to that. But sometimes we focus so much on the temporal. 
and we get so wrapped up in, in, in life. And I understand there's problems in life. You go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis. That's a real thing. That really needs to be dealt with right now. There are real problems. There's real financial issues. There's real heartache. There's real hurt. There's real offense. There's real loss. This is life. Absolutely. We have to deal with it. We can't avoid it. We can't somehow put our head in the sand and say it's just, you know, God's so great and, and life is so wonderful and I just got the joy of the Lord, but I'm just going to forget about my problems. We've got to deal with them. It's just the way life is. But sometimes we get so focused on the temporal that we forget about the eternal. We forget so much. I, I met with my worship leaders a while back ago and I told them, I said, now, no, here's, there's a moratorium on a certain way to lead worship. No more coming up saying, I know we come in this morning and we're dragging and, and life is tough and, and things are difficult and, and we got problems and we got this and, and all this negative. But God is great and God is awesome. I said, man, what is the, what, we got to get off this focus of, of all this stuff that we're trying to get through in life and realize He's worthy of all of the praise. Forget about all that junk. Let's just talk about the greatness of God. I, I got enough, when I walk outside the church door, I got enough reminders of how rough life is. I don't need it in my worship, praise God. Is He able to overcome? Yes, He is, but I don't need it in my worship. But it's our mindset sometimes. We get so bogged down in what's going on in this particular moment. And we serve a God tonight that wants to move forward. He is a proactive, forward-moving Savior. Praise God. And we know that He can do it. We have our confidence and we have seen. And the longer you live for God and the more that you see God in action, the more you recognize that He really truly is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Praise God. But there's also a contingency involved any time in Scripture. I can't think of a place in Scripture where this principle doesn't hold true. He is always holding something out there. He is always providing a promise, showing something that He wants to give a blessing, whatever it may happen to be. But there's always a contingency involved with it. And the contingency is always something contingent upon our actions. That we must do something. God is not a God of welfare. He is a God of, of reciprocation. He will bring great blessing, but we have to do something on our part. And there is something power. Now, we could talk about the inheritance. We could talk about standing right at the edge of the inheritance, the promised land. We're right there. We can see it with our own eyes. After all we've been through in life, we could be right on the precipice of a great miracle in our lives. It's right there for the taking. But unless we do something, all of the promises of God, all the provisions of God uh, go to naught. Mean nothing. Unless it's contingent upon us. There is something powerful about the motivated man. There really is. And when you make the decision in your life that you are going to move forward into that step, into that blessing. I just, I'm going to talk about some practical stuff here tonight. But let me, let me just show you something. So let's go back to Israel. And there they are, and they are literally on the very edge of walking into the greatest thing that they've ever had. And so the Scripture tells us that they went to crossing the Jordan. It took place on the tenth day of the first month. The same day on which 40 years before, Israel began to prepare for going out of Egypt by setting apart the Passover lamb. 
40 day or 40 years exactly to the day of the Passover supper that caused them to be able to leave out of Egypt. Here they are now standing at the edge crossing the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that they came to a place called Gilgal on the western side of the Jordan River. And um, and so on the eastern border of the territory of, of, of Jericho, a little over a mile from the city is where Gilgal is located. And so, of course, we understand, if we understand our biblical history, we realize that once they get into the promised land, the first battle that they have is the battle of Jericho. And everybody understands the battle of Jericho. And we, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's the perfect story for, for Sunday school. It's, it's just, it's a great story to preach. I mean, they surround the city and they, you know, and then, and they march around this city and they and they give this mighty shout and the walls come down. And I mean, it's a great and, 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 and exciting story. And it's their first major battle that they win. But prior to that happening, they spend the night in Gilgal. And so they encamp there, and that particular night some things happen. They don't just pull into Gilgal, begin to pull the food out of the back of the trunks of the car, and set up tents, and get campfires going and all of that, they, they do something very specific. After they set up camp, Joshua orders the Israelites to take 12 stones from the river, one for each tribe. And, and of course, we're familiar with this story. And they take these 12 stones and they place them there as a memory or a memorandum of, of what God has done, this memorial that, that would be there to this very day that God had taken them through. They crossed, miraculously crossed uh, through the Jordan River. And so uh, they pile up these stones as a tribute to that. Then Joshua orders them to those that had been born during the Exodus to be circumcised. And so they bring back this old, what now must seem like some ancient custom or tradition, but was a token of the covenant that God had created, that on that eighth day that male child would be circumcised. The flesh would be removed. And there's a a spiritual meaning behind that, of course, for us in the New Testament. In baptism, that the flesh is removed and the filth of the flesh and the body of sin is now removed. And and so we we find a, a beautiful parallel for us in the New Testament. But back then it was a sign of the covenant. And if you weren't circumcised, you weren't under the covenant, you didn't have the promise, you didn't get the inheritance, and what God had promised wasn't coming to you. So there was an action that was involved in that. There they also then celebrated the Passover. So they remembered the exodus out of Egypt, and they ate their first unleavened bread there in the promised land. Can you imagine what an awesome night that would have been? And so this is a time of not just recouping, uh, resting up, getting ready to go into the promised land, getting ready for the battle, all of that. It's more than that. There's consecration going on here. There's action taking place. There's spiritual activity that is taking place. So get the picture. They're getting ready to move into the promise of God. But they're not just sitting there waiting for the promise to come to them. They are preparing themselves. They are doing something in preparation for receiving the promise. That's where I want to go tonight. So what's interesting about this is that 
Gilgal, it says in Joshua 5 and 9, that the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. This is where it's mentioned. He says, We are going to call this place Gilgal because I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt off of you. The things that you have gone through, the things that you have suffered, the the trials and tribulations that you have got the bondage that kept you ensnared i have rolled that off of you that reproach is no more on you i want you to understand tonight that before they went into and got the promise it wasn't the promise that rolled the reproach away the reproach was rolled away before they ever obtained the promise something happened before they ever stepped into the promises of god they prepared themselves praise god and they and something spiritual began to happen. Matter of fact, the word Gilgal means wheel or something to roll. Matter of fact, in some places it says that it, it, the word literally Gilgal actually means a sacred circle of stones. See, Mick Jagger was not the first one to come up with the rolling stones. God did. <laughs> but there's something very powerful to understand about Gilgal. Now, the reason why this is, is this is kind of hard to describe verbally without you actually seeing it, but in the Hebrew letters, Gilgal, it's actually two words put together. And when you look at the Hebrew letters, they look like two interlocking circles when you put them together. So you've got a circle and a circle. It's kind of interesting. The letters themselves kind of form this wave that makes almost like a, maybe like a figure eight on its side, if you will. And... Um, and so the Hebrew letters that spell the word Gilgal, Gimel, and Lamed form that shape. And when you look at the shape of these letters put together, it's very interesting because it looks like a shoe print. So in April of 2009, the University of Haifa in Israel issued a press release. An archaeologist, Adam Zertal, had been working out in the desert, and his group had been uncovering an area. See, Gilgal, it was, there was, there's three Gilgals mentioned in the Bible. And so it can be a little confusing, and they all are depicted or described in different places or different locales. So it has been, as, uh, archaeologically, it's been a little difficult to pinpoint Gilgal exactly. And so this gentleman and his group began to investigate years prior where the Old Testament Gilgal, where the Israelites encamped the night before they went into the Promised Land, where it actually was. The press release said the work in which he discovered huge stone-lined camps in the Jordan Valley was without a doubt the encampment of Gilgal. And so they began to uncover all of these stone walls that formed this, this mini-fortress, if you will, this encampment of Gilgal. And as they, you know, from all of the, the centuries now of, of sand blowing and dirt accumulating, and as they began to uh, wipe that away and remove all of that, all of a sudden uh, something became very, very apparent and became very clear in the sand. And if you were to look at it from an aerial view, this is what they uncovered. That's Gilgal. And if you look close at this, it doesn't take too much of an imagination to realize that Gilgal itself was nothing more than a giant shoe print. 
made up of stones. And God said, this is the place where I'm going to put you. Before you step into your promise, before you obtain and receive what I am wanting to give to you, I'm going to prepare you in a place that's a place of spiritual reconsecration. It is a place of spiritual regeneration. It is a place where you will prepare yourself to step into my promise because as of this moment, you're not prepared to step into that. And I want to, I want, the metaphor has got to be when you place the stones and you create the encampment, look at what God does. He says, I'm going to make it in the form of a footprint, of a shoe print. Why? Because the promise to you, Joshua, is this, that wherever the sole of your foot touches, I have given it to you. That when your footfall lands on that land, on that inheritance, and that's what their inheritance was. It was physical property. It was terra firma. It was land. When you step into what your enemy owns, what he's already got control of, as soon as the sole of your foot hits it, it's going to be yours. But before you ever get to that place, you've got to prepare yourself. Before you ever go to that place, you've got to have a mindset that I'm going to move. I'm going to tell you, this is what I want to say to you tonight is this. God is looking to bring you into promises that you're aware of or maybe you're not aware of. There's things perhaps you've been praying for. There's there's strongholds in your life. There's stuff that you, you wish was gone. You wish you had dominion over. You wish God had taken away. You wish you could get over it. You wish you could get past it. You you're living that some of this stuff comes deep, deep seated from the past, and it's things that you thought you left behind a long time ago, but somehow they're carrying along with you, like the mixed multitude coming out of Egypt. It's like a, a, a traveling companion that's always whining and complaining and, and murmuring, saying, "I want to go back. I want to go back. Why did you bring us out here?" I'm telling you, if if you would just understand, if you could prepare yourself to say, "I'm not just going to stand here and hear about God's promises that He wants to heal me, that He wants to." fix me, that he wants to change me, but I've got to step into it. I've got to walk into it. I've got to do something about it. I've got to prepare myself for that. Praise God. And it's not lost on me. The fact that Gilgal is only a mile and a quarter from Jericho. Folks, what I'm telling you is this. Whatever it is, and I don't care who we are in here tonight. you got a preacher's license in your back pocket. It doesn't matter. We're human beings. We all, I'm telling you, sometimes the more I live for God, I'm like Paul. The more I live for God, the more I realize how, how, just how much help I need. Man, he uncovers stuff and he digs up stuff. And I'm thinking, where did that come from? I'm Holy Ghost filled. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. Where did this stuff come from? Who? I don't even recognize that guy. And I realize that if I'm going to become more like him, it's becoming more painfully obvious how much more I need to be like him and how much I'm not like him. And, and so, they're, they're, but I, I, I recognize that my greatest miracles, my greatest victories, my greatest obtaining of his promises for me in my life, I'm only this far away from him. They were a mile and a quarter away from their greatest victory, and yet God had to prepare them to walk into it, to step into it. Can I tell you something? He's not a drive through He's not just going to bring... He, you can order it online from Him, but He's not going to deliver it to your house. you got to step into it. you got to walk into it. you got to do something about it. 
You say, Brother Herman, what what are you talking about? Well, I, I mean, listen, I mean, I'm just a simple preacher, but, you know, the Bible talks to us about walking in the Spirit. And walking is a verb. I didn't do so good in math when I was in college, but I did okay in English. I know walking is a verb. And what is a verb? Action. If I say I'm going to walk from the front of the church to the back doors there, you would expect me to get down off of the platform and to begin to walk one foot in front of the other. It's an expenditure of energy. It's, it's a purposed effort. Actually, I'm doing something. And when we walk in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit doesn't mean that I got filled with the Holy Ghost 26 years ago and I live off of that one experience that one night and hope that sustains me until Jesus comes. But walking in the Spirit is a purposeful walking effort. It's putting energy and effort into what I'm doing. I think the reason why we don't get the promises that we're looking for, that we don't get the victories that we're looking for, is because sometimes we're just waiting for our benevolent God to just kind of bring it to us. But I'm telling you, folks, it's going to take prayer. It's going to take fasting. It's going to take effort. It's going to take brokenness. You say, what's it going to take? It's going to take a lot of things. Maybe for you and your situation, it's going to take stepping out in faith. I can remember when I was a young Christian and altar calls would come. I had trouble getting up out of these pews and and coming up to the front. You say, well, what's so special at the front of the church? Well, there's nothing really that special about the front of the church. It isn't any different than the back of the church. God can do a miracle in the sound booth back there. Praise, and I wish you'd do one in our church, praise God. Miracle in the sound booth, but that's a whole other story. It, it, there's nothing that special about this up here, but, but what it does, there's something that begins to cause faith to work. When I purpose in my mind that I'm actually going to, I'm just, I'm not going to listen to the message. I'm not going to hear about faith. I'm not going to hear about the promises of God. But I'm going to stand up and I'm going to step into them. Maybe it means something as simple as getting on my face before God. Humbling myself before Him under the mighty hand of God. That He might exalt me in due time and, and that my miracle would come to pass. I don't know what it is in your life, but I know in my life there's been things where I've had to say, i got to step out a little bit. He's a God of action. He's a God of forward progress. He said, every place of the, that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given it to you. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Now, listen to what we just read. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Drop down a little bit. For then shalt then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I'm, I'll tell you what caught my attention reading this one time. I love reading the part about God's already given it to me. That preaches well, especially in this culture. Man, it's already there for you. Your victory's there. Done deal. New job, it's there. That situation you've been looking to have changed, it's done, it's there. I mean, that feels good. And I got to looking at this and I thought, thought, but, but there's a contingency here. God's saying, however, but, 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 but wait a minute. I'm not just going to hand this to you on a silver platter, but I want you to be strong and courageous. Now that preach is good too. 
Because it feels good when the preacher says, we got to be strong in the Lord, courageous in the Lord. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And man, that, I mean, that does something to you, doesn't it? That's some powerful stuff. But if you just stop right there and you do nothing beyond that, you've just had a pep rally in your heart, you know? You just got a little excited. Your hair stood up. And, and what he's saying here is that you may observe to do according to all of the law. That there's, that it's contingent upon something. There's some, uh, there's some action behind this. There is, uh, uh, obedience behind this. And this last phrase just struck me. So succinctly, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. I don't know if you caught that or not. It doesn't say God's going to make your way prosperous. It doesn't say, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. I'm going to give you everything. He said, you, thou, you're going to make your way prosperous. You understand, it is, it's contingent upon me. I wonder tonight if maybe I have been in the way of my own blessings, my own miracles, my own, my own victories in my life. Is it possible tonight that I have stood in my own way, that I have tripped over perhaps my own feet? Is it possible that I have been the thing that has kept me from receiving what God has for me? Praise God. But I'll tell you one thing. We can't stay stagnant. I mean, listen, I, this is easy to understand. When you think about the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, They that believe on me, as the Scripture had said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. When you do a little research on that term, living water, you find out that this is, this is not some stagnant pond where stuff's growing, it gets stinky and, 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 and algae and all kinds of junk. But we're talking about rivers of living water, things that are moving. It's a moving, flowing stream. If we don't have that in our lives, if we don't have that continual flow, then things are going to die. It's a, that's not a hard concept to understand. But we can't stay stagnant. We've got to keep moving toward God. We've got to continue to be faithful, praise God. We've got to step when it's, we walk when it's cold. We walk when it's hot. We walk when it's sunny. We walk when it's raining. We walk when we're tired. We walk through valleys. We walk up the mountains. We, we walk when things are in our path and we walk when we don't feel like walking. This living for God thing is about a constant, you talk about 24-7, 365. There is no time off. We either live for God. We either serve God. We're either obedient to God or we're not. And in doing that, something very powerful begins to happen. We step into the promises and the blessings that He's given to us. We, uh, we sure love the Parkers, and we sure uh, appreciated almost two years ago now going to Israel with them. And uh, you, you'll remember this, I'm sure, but we were in Jerusalem for four days. And I'll tell you, folks, there's something just you can't almost it's just almost impossible to describe when you stand on those on the on the land that we're we're talking about and preaching about. We're in Jerusalem for four days and the last night that we're getting ready to leave the tour company that had put this tour on and and and, and facilitated it. They had a dinner for us. And so we're in a restaurant upstairs and we're in this banquet hall and. And uh, the woman, I believe she was the owner of the of the uh, travel company, got up and said a few things and, you know, welcomed us, thanked us for, you know, as Americans, thanked us for our money. No, it wasn't our money, but thanked us for coming and supporting, uh, supporting Israel, being friends of Israel. And um, 
And so she had a little token gift for everybody and uh, began to pass these little boxes out. And, um, she, and as they were being passed out, she was explaining. She said, um, you know, I don't remember her exact words, but she was talking about how precious, you know, the, the land is, the land of Israel and the soil. And she said, and so what you're receiving is it's a, it's a keychain, and it's, they've, it's literally soil from Jerusalem that somehow is mixed with something to harden it. And and uh, and made into a, a keychain so that you can take part of Jerusalem back with you. You've got you've actually got the land on your keychain, and so these are being passed out. And I open this thing up, and I look at it, and it's in the shape of a foot. And it was just at a particular time when I had just been studying all of this particular scripture out. Right around that same exact time. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord was trying to tell me, you need to keep walking. You need to keep letting your feet touch the soil of the blessings and the miracles that I've already got prepared for you. But you have to do something. I want to encourage you tonight. It's not a chastisement. It's kind of more the heart of a pastor. I don't know if you can feel that or not. But I just talked to my people recently about fasting. Talk to them about what actually happens when we fast and the importance of it. That you can't just say God is my God is my my victor and God is my my deliverer, but you've got to step into that and you're part of it. You are cooperatively working together with Him to facilitate the miraculous. Praise God. We're part of this thing, folks. Amen. Praise God. We've got to walk and we've got to do something about it. I want to share something with you. I I find the easiest way to make my points a lot of times is just to be transparent. I can't speak about your situations as well as I can speak about mine. But I'll tell you that a number of years ago, my dad passed away. And uh, when he did, my my parents were not Pentecostal. I wasn't raised in this. I wasn't in an apostolic home. I had good parents. But it was a difficult thing when we came into this apostolic truth that caused a lot of consternation and a lot of uh, trouble within our, our home. Some of you can probably appreciate that amongst family members. And my mom had a pastor at the time, and uh, I had met this man on occasion. And I don't want to speak ill of him, but I always found him to be rather aggressive. Um, I'm thankful for this apostolic doctrine. I love this truth. I also realize that I am charged with being responsible for not using it like a baseball bat to pound somebody over the head with it. And sometimes people just have a certain approach that's a little aggressive. And that's the way I always felt from this man. He was an anti-tongue talker if there ever was one. And that's what I came out of. Matter of fact, I thought you people were crazy. My pastor, and we are, praise God, amen. I didn't realize it, but we are. And my pastor said, preached, I can remember as a, as a teenager, him up there, tongues is of the devil, tongues. I didn't know anything about speaking in tongues, but as soon as you said it, it just gave me the eebie-jeebies, you know. I just, oh, man, it's because it's of the devil. Until somebody showed me the Bible. And I got into the scripture and realized, I don't see the devil in here. And 
so I knew where he was coming from, and he had some very strong opinions. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I do believe we can, we can have a conversation, though, and uh, we can be kind to one another. And it just, I never felt that. But my dad passed away, and my mom had this man do the service. And the night before the service, and, you know, understandably difficult for my mom, having lost her husband, and uh, didn't want her to stay home. It was on the She lived on the other side of Appleton at the time, and we were on the south side. And I said, well, why don't you just come spend the night, spend a couple days with us prior to the funeral? And, and so she did. And, uh, and so the night before the funeral, uh, this man, Pastor Doug, uh, came over, him and his wife came over and uh, just to meet with my mom and came to our home and and uh, and you know I I wasn't sure how it was going to go but I understood that you know whatever happens you know what we can't do is have any kind of situation here this is not what this is about I mean you know I lost my dad and she lost her husband and we're not going to be getting into doctrinal arguments over this you know and, uh, and so we're in the living room, and we actually had a very nice time. It was a very nice time. And, and I, I, I told him, I said, you know, thank you for being here and, and, and coming over. And, and uh, this is really an enjoyable, as enjoyable as it can be when you think about the loss. So the next day we had the service, and because we had, uh, we were an assistant pastor at the time in Appleton, we had that place was just packed full. I think almost all of our church was there to, in support of, of our family. And uh, and so there was a lot of apostolic people there, and uh, of course our extended family and that type of thing. And and so the man got up and he began to speak. And I'm thankful that the Lord has given me uh, amnesia in some things in my life. I can't remember specifically what he said, but there was a couple of comments that were very veiled and they were very pointed toward our worship, pointed toward our one God beliefs. And uh, after about the third comment, they weren't overt, but they were there. So much so that I could hear these little gasps from people behind us. This man would make a comment. He was trying to be kind. He was trying to basically say, you know, this man is in heaven. He accepted the Lord into his heart. And uh, and he's saved. And, and I don't know what he was trying to do in contrast to our stringent, strict doctrine i guess and you could just hear the people the breath kind of going out of them and after about the third time i felt like i was i felt like i was going to pass out i i don't think i've ever felt so hurt in my life folks i can't even i don't have the vernacular tonight to describe what it felt you say well you must have been mad no i wasn't even mad i was so beyond mad i was so deeply hurt all i could think about was there's my dead dad Ten feet away from me. This is the only time in my life ever. This will never. This moment will never ever happen again, where I get to remember my father, and I'm being attacked for my religious beliefs. And I felt something come over me. That I, I, I and I didn't. I wasn't trying to make a scene. I didn't want to make a scene. I just. I just wanted to be left alone. And I got up. I was at the front of the church on the little couch there with my mom and my brother. And I got up and I just slowly walked down the aisle. I had to go get some air. My pastor followed me out. He came up. First thing he says, "You want? I will say something to him afterwards." <laughs> I said, "No, pastor. It's good. It's good. We're, we're all good." We're all good. It, it so deeply hurt me. 
in a way I can't even describe. And for years I carried that. And now I want to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. Like any offense that we have, you know, we're, we're, we're Holy Ghost-filled people. We know we're not supposed to have it. We know we're not supposed to. And so we start to tell ourselves things. Well, I'm over it. It's all good. That's water over the dam. It's done. It's over. No problem. I forgive him. But then all of a sudden, something comes along that stirs that all back up again and brings it all back. And you realize that thing's just sitting there latent down in your heart. So, my... uh, My uh, mom passed away just after we got back from Israel. And uh, I was so panicked. I said to my brother, now this is, this is about a year and a half ago. So this is, this is like 10, 11 years after this thing happens. I said to my brother, what, what about Doug? You think Doug and Tammy are going to show up? You think Pastor Doug's going to be there? He said, I have no idea. And I have all these contingency plans in my mind. You know, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to handle this. You know, I'm going to be righteous about it, but I'm going to be firm. You know, i got all these scenarios going in my head. I'm, I'm thinking, this is insane. This is crazy. And so the night that we have the funeral, the memorial service, I'm up there talking, and I felt the need to just say a few things about my mom. And as I'm talking, I'm starting to feel something break in my spirit. And after this memorial service is over, I said to Pastor Doug, I said, Do you have a second? I just got to talk to you. And I pulled him off to the side. And, folks, I the first word that came out of my mouth was, because <laughs> it just broke in me. And I told him, I said, I've never felt so hurt in my life. And I said, I've carried this with me. And I said, I've got up in the pulpit and I've preached. I've preached about forgiveness. I've preached about offense. And yet I've carried this with me. And I said, I, I, I'm not asking for anything. I said, but I'm just asking for you to forgive me for, for being a man of God, a preacher, and, and, and not being able to, to get past this. I should have called you 11 years ago, and I didn't. And I just want to tell you how sorry I am for the things that I felt and thought. And he looked at me, and he, and here I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a fight. I'm waiting for a, an aggressive defense of his actions. He looked at me, and he said, I just want to tell you, I really feel bad about that. He said, I really didn't feel like I would ever intend to do something like that. But if I said anything like that that came out that way, I just want you to know how sorry I am. And there we sat hugging each other, weeping on each other crying and and i folks i'm gonna tell you something i i felt so good after i was done with that i felt so good so what am i trying to tell you tonight as you stand with me is this god will heal your broken heart you drag stuff in from your past with you you come into this lifestyle of holiness Looking to go on unto perfection. Nobody is perfect, and perfect doesn't mean absence of every mistake and sin. It means completeness. We're in the process of completing ourselves, becoming like Him. We bring all of this stuff with us. We have all of these things that we just wish we could get a hold of, get a handle on, get victory over, and we can't, and we just don't seem to be able to do it. What I'm telling you tonight is simply this. I needed to take action. I needed to step out and do an uncomfortable thing 
and face a man who for 11 years I had a picture in my mind and a feeling in my heart about and something so very sensitive in my life. I'm telling you, folks, you can stand on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of your miracle, on the edge of what God is trying to do, but if you don't do something about it, if you don't step into it, you will never, ever obtain it. The sole of your foot has to touch it. And that means I have to lift this one up and move it forward and plant it on the ground and lift up the next one and push it forward and plant it on the ground. And that is the only way I'm going to obtain the miracles and the victories God is looking to do in my life. Praise God. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. It's something I do, Lord. It's not something I hear about. It's not something I just, somebody tells me, but it's something I do. Action. I forget about those things which are behind. I reach forth unto those things which are before me. I press toward the mark of the prize. I press. There's a pressing. There's an action. There's a responsibility. Folks, whatever it is, you know what it is. You know. Your spouse may not even know. You know. Your parents may not even know. But you know. You know because in the quiet time, in when you're in that quiet place, in your bedroom, nobody's around. You're all by yourself. You know the thing that you despise the most within you. You know the thing that you want the most that you can't. You know the thing that causes you doubt. You know the thing that causes you to stumble. You know the thing that's a stronghold. You know what it is. But you keep hearing about how God's going to take it away and He's able. He's abundantly able to do it. But I'm telling you tonight maybe the simplest answer is that you haven't allowed yourself to be broken yet. I've known men that have prayed, prayed, and prayed, and prayed that God would heal them from pornography addiction. But it wasn't until they got on their face in an old-fashioned altar and allowed God to break them. Too manly, too strong, too proud to let God get a hold of their emotions. But when they did, God began to break things up and stir things up and change things. I'm telling you. If you want to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results, it's not going to work. But if you'll step out in faith in a way that you never have before, this altar is open tonight. Maybe it's as simple as just stepping out of that pew, saying, I'm going to just address whatever it is, but I want to step into my inheritance. My inheritance may be a deliverance. My inheritance may be a healing. My inheritance may be overcoming something in my life that that I can't seem to overcome. Whatever that promise is, whatever that thing that God is looking to do for you and give to you, tonight's the night to step into it. I'm not looking behind me. I'm moving forward. I'm looking forward. It doesn't matter where I've been, who I am, what I've done. I'm stepping into the forward momentum of blessing. I'm stepping into forward progress a blessing. Come on, all across this place tonight. I'm reaching to you, Jesus. I'm stepping forward 
I'm not going to run from it anymore. I'm not going to try to get away from it anymore. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to face it. I'm going to step into that promise. Step into that inheritance. Praise God. Come on, don't give up. Don't doubt. Don't quit. Don't stop. You're right there. You're a mile and a half away from your greatest victory. Come on, you're right there. You're right there. If you if you'll just do something different, your greatest victory is just about to take place. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let the reproach of your situation roll off you tonight. Let the reproach of your past roll off you tonight.